Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the Breadcrumb Trails podcast. I'm Gina. I'm Carol. And I'm Danny. We've got an exciting guest for you today. By the... An exciting guest? I count. <laughs> <laughs> By the name of Shelby Hayes. So I wanted to take a moment to give you fair warning that this episode contains some adult type content in some places, just so you're not caught unaware. The rating for this episode is being marked as mature for that reason, so you have been warned. I also wanted to give you guys a heads up that due to the length of the content in this episode, this episode did have to be split into two distinct episodes in order to cover everything that we talked about with Shelby. I tried to keep things as lighthearted as possible as when we were originally talking with Shelby and I tried to keep the atmosphere of the conversation as well so you guys could follow our train of thought because we were kind of all over the place with different tracks of thought. So I hope you guys enjoy the content provided within this episode. We really enjoyed making it. We really enjoyed the discussion with Shelby and fair warning, we did completely nerd out on this as well. Just a quick plug for our social media. If you're looking to get in touch with us, you can do so on Facebook and Instagram at Breadcrumb Trails Podcast. Our email is breadcrumbtrailspodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the podcast or any of the content creation put out, that's patreon.com slash trailblazermedia. We're also on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Anchor as well. Links for all of those platforms will be posted in the show notes. If you're interested, you can also leave us voice messages for feedback or comments over on Anchor as well. Shelby, why don't you say hi? Hey! <laughs> it is too early. I am not awake enough for this. You do sound like a valley girl. <laughs> I know! Thanks! <laughs> so, Shelby, you've had some exciting ex- experiences, and we're talking to you today on the topic of language. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Who are you? Where do you come from? What is your experience? And why does language fascinate you? I'm born in Edmonton, lived out in little town for far too long, then finally came back to Edmonton, which was wonderful because little towns are not multicultural in the slightest. So coming back to Edmonton was a breath of fresh air in that aspect, if nothing else. My language interests have been since a young age between my kindergarten to grade through three being in a English and Chinese bilingual school, watching anime as a kid because Sailor Moon and Astro Boy and such. And my mom is from Serbia, so her first language is Serbian, not English. So it's not like I heard much of it at home, but I always knew that there were other languages. And also living in Mill Woods, which is a little straightforward of like, there's Punjabi and Hindi and all this like other language around me. So it was pretty easy to grasp the thought that there's many, many, many more useful languages than just English around me. So that's probably where it started. So you've accomplished something in your life that not a lot of people have in regards to language proficiency. And I believe you have another impending date coming up. Do you want to explain a bit about that? Eh, It's (laughs) definitely a cool accomplishment, but I I feel there's a, a point in any kind of language learning where you know enough to know that you don't know enough. And so that's where a lot of the the humble comes in. I took the Japanese language proficiency test, N5 being the easiest, a couple years back, and I achieved that one. And then actually, three weeks ago, I went and took the next level of that. And this was after completing all the Japanese courses I could at McEwen, which were intro level, but high enough to be ready for the next test. Although, going into the test, I realized that 
while the baseline is the textbooks that we covered, there was a lot of vocab that me and the two classmates I brought with me definitely hadn't seen. So crossing fingers and, and hoping for the best, but I won't get my marks on that till about September. So some wait and see. I know I'm rooting for you on that one. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment, and I wish I was half as good with language as you are. Uh, Carol, start off with you for questions. All right, so what inspired you to learn Japanese rather than a different language, say Punjabi, Mandarin, or even French? You know, I was always interested in learning Japanese from, you know, like school age, I'd say. There was teachers that had some books, and I was watching anime, and it was all interesting. And I was definitely interested in learning a language in general like french piques my interest being in a, a bilingual school like i learned a couple numbers and at the time i remembered like one to ten now i don't remember a thing all i know is well i need i love you and that's it <laughs> it was finding a couple friends in a small town with nothing to do and they're like here watch anime here i have anime that's not in english i'm like oh interesting and then i go through all the episodes i can get of that and then the next episodes aren't in English or subbed. And then I'm like, oh, well now what do I do? And suddenly, if I want to have more storyline, I have to understand this. And I'm pretty sure that's about where it started. I had the chance to learn French in school, of course. But at the time, I was already interested in learning Japanese. And doing both at the same time was not working in my head. So I stuck with Japanese. And I'm one of the lucky, unlucky ones that never touched a French class in their life through K-12. to Other than doing the otaku thing, and for those of you who don't know what otaku means, it is, I believe the definition is somebody who is obsessed or has a very large attraction to certain aspects of Japanese culture. So other than the otaku thing, how has being a dual linguist made an impact in your life? It's definitely humbling. If you only know one language, then that's all that you understand in theory, which doesn't make sense. But what I'm talking about is there's a difference in vocabulary, for example. Like, there's we don't have gendered objects like the way that French or Spanish does, but that just comes naturally to them in the same way that we don't really have in English we don't have hierarchy words other than like Mrs. Mr. Doctor Boss but that's very common in Japanese so it kind of broadens your your thoughts on other normal day-to-day -day interactions because we don't have these normal words and there's a, uh, a theory I'd learned through sociology the Saper Wharf theory where languages that have different vocabulary, for example, many, many, many different words for snow, will have a broader understanding and an appreciation and being able to detect differences. Whereas we just have snow. Maybe we have slush and we have icy crystals, but like that's about it. Whereas other cultures have many more words for things than we do. So these are things that you can't learn in English. These are things that you can't learn without trying to learn another language and seeing what differences there are. Going through some anthropology courses that I've been through. I know that they mentioned at least one culture, and forgive me, but I cannot remember which one. They actually use cardinal directions instead of up, down, left, right, forward, backward. They actually use cardinal directions like north, northwest. Like you'll take a, a step to your north, northwest, or could you pull back to the south, southwest by two steps or something like that. So I guess having that wider cultural, under, having that wider understanding in a cultural context is something that one should almost strive for so you can understand the world a little better around uh, a little better around you i think they call it uh 
worldview or something like that, uh, something along those lines. The way that you see the world shapes the person that you are just as much as the person that you are and how you learn shapes the world around you uh, in context. I absolutely agree. It's a case of you don't know what you don't know. If you don't expose yourself to possibly different and broader opinions and views and vocabularies even, you don't know what you don't know. So you have to explore and see what you find. So I'm going to kind of build on what Gina started. You've traveled to Japan, yes? Yes. How has knowing at least like conversational Japanese changed your trip? There's a bit of a preface. Please do not do not worry about your language proficiency before going. If you want to go, please just go. Because as far as Tokyo, you'll get around with zero Japanese just fine. You'll learn, I'm sorry, where's the bathroom, and how much is this, and you'll be fine. But being able to know a little bit of Japanese, and I still felt far too unconfident? Yeah, lack of confidence (laughs) when I went. But it was enough to help figure out directions, it was enough to tell like to figure out how to ask for sizes or to ask for different colors, things like that. Cause I mean, shopping. But the the biggest accomplishment for the fact that I knew enough Japanese to get by when I went was the fact that I actually helped another English speaker get around and that blew my mind. When you get a JR pass, the Japan Rail Pass, you don't get to go through the normal train turnstiles to get through like everyone else. You have to go through the attendance booth and flash them your pass and walk through. But I couldn't get through this tiny little booth because there is a gentleman asking in purely English to a poor Japanese attendant who only understood Japanese how to get to this place and can I buy tickets and stuff. And this was not all that selfless. It was mostly selfish in the fact that I needed to get through and it was getting a little, uh, a little impatient. And so I just, screw it, I'm gonna translate. And so I walk up and I tell them both, I'm like, please excuse me, what would you like? And he's like, I'm trying to get to this place and where do I buy a ticket? I'm like, cool. And in Japanese, I tell the attendant, I'm like, he's trying to get to this place. Can he buy a ticket? And he's like, yeah, over at the, the ticket stall over there. I'm like, cool, can you buy a ticket for today? He's like, yes. So I tell this all to the, the gentleman who knows only English and send him on his way. And the attendant was so very thankful. And while it was purely selfish of I need to get through, I realized that I made two people's day and an attendant that really couldn't go any further with his information and an English speaker that really couldn't go any further with his language. And so it made my day easier, but it made theirs much, much easier. All right, so my question is gonna take a little bit of a description here. So Shelby is Caucasian, you know, your typical um, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, what is the general reaction when someone realizes your fluency? <laughs> it's kind of cool. Okay, now again, preface is fluency. I'm probably on par with a grade schooler. And I mean, like, probably grade three, maybe. They can read way more than I can. Um, but when someone realizes, like, first of all, my dad is a huge fan. He gets so giddy. I, uh, I went to Toronto a couple years back for a, a Hatsune Miku concert and turns out our bar- bartender afterward spoke Japanese. And so I said something as simple as like, thank you very much, your mojito was delicious. And my dad's eyes just light up because that was the coolest thing in the world to hear his baby girl speaking in Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> but even when I get the occasional 
like every rare time when I actually get to help a, a Japanese person at work in retail or something and as simple as like do you need a hand or thank you very much and their eyes just light up because they don't expect it as silly as it is from my face in the middle of Edmonton you don't expect to hear Japanese from someone who doesn't appear to be Japanese I feel the warm and fuzzies inside <laughs> <laughs> helping people is good <laughs> Now say that in Japanese, please. Uh, it's too early for that. Hayashigimasu <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't mind us. We're just going to put you on the spot here. We need sound bites here. Help us out, honey bunches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I made Gina gag. <laughs> Not gag, just more of what the fuck. And oh my god. <laughs> That's right. I ooh in your general direction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously I'm going to have to preface this episode with, hey, just so you know, we're all fucking nerds. <laughs> and this might be outside of the scope of a few people's uh, a few people's comfort zone. But I'm going to do a show of hands. Who's an otaku in this room? Hi. That's everyone. <laughs> well, I went halfway. Motion passes. We are all geeks. <laughs> yup. So, uh, I know we were talking a while ago, Danny, and what was it you said you were? You were the preppiest heavy metal person you'd ever met or something like that? I'm a preppy metalhead, yes. Yeah. Hey, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing pastel colors, but, you know. We listen to, I, like, Screamo Rock on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> we're also in a black room. Blacker than my soul. And it's soft it, on the inside. <laughs> damn it, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> but it's squishy and cozy and black. I want to snuggle it. <laughs> I'm going to snuggle the things. It <laughs> was so good for the beginning of the episode. <laughs> it's crazy. You yeah. remind me of the person that sees like a black bear or like a lion yes. or something. It's like, toe beans! I, I want to cuddle it. It's like, that is a man-eating animal. Do not go near it. I want to hug it and cuddle it and snuggle it and call it George. It is mine now. Your sharp bits are the size of my head, but I want to love you. <laughs> oh my god. You brought this upon yourself. You know what? It's all good. I, I totally signed up for this and I know why I was getting into this and I'm totally okay with this. And that is why Shelby will not be coming with me to Africa. Yep. <laughs> there is places you can cuddle lions in Africa. Oh, those are a, not ethical. No, they, they run a rehab center for lion cubs where the like the pride have been poached. So they take the cubs to a rehab center. It teaches them socialization and stuff. Also not ethical. It just looks ethical. Your face isn't ethical. <laughs> no. It's too early to be ethical. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Again, this is going to be the shit that we look back on our deathbeds and be like, what the fuck? And oh my god, oh my I had a blast. God. Oh, it's like looking back at one's deviant art. Yep. <sighs> oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> Carol, next question. All right, I once spoke to someone who he was dared to ask a girl or to tell a girl that she was beautiful. When he went up to tell her in Thai that she was beautiful, he ended up saying something rather offensive and nearly got beat up. Have you ever run into any mishaps like that? Okay, how... What's what's our rating on this? Technically... 13 plus? I want, yeah, I want to say 13 plus, but technically I can make it 18A if need be. We'll, we'll call it a solid 13 plus. Okay. 
So, Japanese is a language full of homonyms, meaning words that sound exactly the same and have entirely different meanings. Well, this one isn't exactly a homonym, but it's close enough. Ahoge is the term for the little hair flippy that anime characters have. It's like the dumb hair. <laughs> That's pretty much what that stands for. Ahoge. Characters that have the flippy hair on their bangs. The word that sounds exactly the same, ahegao, is um, the face in throes of pleasure. And so being amongst a bunch of geeks and you want to be like, oh yeah, that character with the uh, mm -mm, say it right, uh, ahoge, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Not to say it the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't wanna, you don't, that's something you don't wanna say in public. You just don't, no, mm -mm. Don't say that in public. <laughs> it's not fair that those words are so similar. <laughs> Congratulations, I just broke everybody in the booth. <laughs> I was suppressing the laughter for as long as I can. I can finally let loose. Yeah, definitely gonna have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode that just so you know, shenanigans are going to ensue in this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I might just leave this completely unedited. This one's slightly NSFW. Slightly. Just, you know, don't listen to it in a public space. Yeah. Use headphones. headphones on. Yeah. yeah, put your headphones on. <laughs> headphones, always a good idea, always. especially if you're in Japan, always. where it is kind of a requirement. Especially if you're showing the big O face. <laughs> yes, because my plan is to watch hentai on the train. I know people that do that. Gotta let let loose somehow. I mean, the day at work is kind of tough at times. You know, there's letting loose, and then there's letting loose. One of those is public publicly acceptable. The other is not. Sugi mondai onegaishimasu. Next question, please. <laughs> I have made her uncomfortable. <laughs> Accents often present a challenge with the secondary language. Is there anything that could be done to combat it? Oddly enough, accents definitely matter. I found a lot of times when I was in Japan, oddly enough, whether it was out of shock on their behalf or bad pronunciation on my behalf, that I had to repeat myself a couple times. So that's definitely a case of... of trying to properly mimic accents and it sounds really weird when you're trying to learn it but the best way is to do your best to mimic whatever media you're listening to if it's japanese music if it's dramas if it's even anime which with a grain of salt because they usually speak in very informal and almost like hick ways so try not to try only copying anime, but whatever media you have access to, as silly as it is, try and mimic the sounds exactly so that you sound like them. If you had to read their line, you would sound like them. Well, you want their intonation because you want to have that intonation when you're speaking Japanese, all for the sake of them understanding you better. Looking at things from a hierarchical sense, how does Japanese differ from English? What are some of the nuances that we don't necessarily have on this side of things. Japanese has its more simpler, more simplistic aspects where English does not. For example, Japanese sounds at least follow the same rules. One letter will always sound like one letter, whereas we have 
silent E's and GH's that sound like F's and etc. So at least Japanese tries to stick to its own rules for most of the time. The things that it has that are really hard to understand as an English learner, for example, something that tripped me up for a long time, was there is a verb for give, there is a verb for receive, and there's a verb for give me specifically. So it's like, how do you translate that? How do you wrap your head around that when we don't have an equal word?、Um, it's the same as there being so frequent use of hierarchical types of language, like if we had a, a suffix for kid, and a suffix for buddy, and a suffix for boss, alongside doctor, and Mrs., and Mr., and professor. They have suffixes for all of these things. Where we don't. It's just like, hey, Gina, instead of Gina san or Gina chan. Everything ends in a suffix there. Otherwise, you might as well be saying a noun. If it doesn't have a suffix, it's not a name, really.、Um, especially when it comes to what's called keigo or honorific speak, which in English we can speak casually like this, or we can make a choice to use very polite and Less offensive and and just the nicest speak we can think of. If you were going to speak to the prime minister, the way that you would speak is as honorable as you can. Well, that would still be in normal English words that you would use on a day to day basis. In Japanese, there is a whole new verb set. A lot of things, luckily, there's a, a list of verbs that have a change to it, and then everything else just gets different suffixes and affixes to it. There is a whole new verb set if you're trying to speak to someone under you, speak to someone the same level as you, speak to someone higher than you, and speak to someone that's like the top of the food chain. So it's a little bit complicated, not so much in use, but in learning additional vocab and then making sure to use it properly so that you're not making yourself sound superior by accident. Because it's either making the other person superior or humbling yourself or both. And figuring out the right times to use those, it doesn't translate to English, right? And so it's a little bit difficult to learn things that, that don't have an English counterpart. I think that was well said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I find that language has many layered aspects to them. Are there any layers or aspects that you haven't grasped, or any that you will never take a hold of? Kago, honorable speak, definitely is one of those difficult ones, but if I want to do bigger and better things with my language, I'm gonna have to get there. The real big learning curve, I figure, for Japanese is learning all of the writing system. There is hiragana, which is akin to our alphabet. There is katakana, which is the same kind of alphabet written differently for foreign words. So think of learning A to Z twice with dif- different symbols. Yay. And then there is kanji, which is Chinese characters that Japanese uses. Now, It wouldn't be so bad at that point, even considering the vast number of kanji there is. There's like 10,000 plus. But not only does Japanese use the Chinese pronunciation, but it also uses a Japanese pronunciation. So, depending on placement and context and etc., one symbol can be pronounced in different ways. So, between learning the different sounds for each symbol, learning how to write and recognize these complex symbols as it is, And the vast number of these symbols. Like, it's said that you need, I might butcher this, but I think you need at least 2,000 to read a newspaper. And there's many, many, many more than that. And even Japanese natives these days can't 
reproduce a lot of them these days. Like, you've got your basics, of course, that you use daily, but technical words and, and rarer words, things that we don't use, like, for example, we hardly use the word automatopoeia in daily language, but we remember how to spell it. Except theirs could be much more complicated. <laughs> it's a word that they don't write often, and they're all very complicated symbols to write. So if you don't write it, you'll forget how to write it. And with there being such a vast amount, it's hard to remember them all. Even the amount that I know, I think for the JLPT N4 that I took, I needed something like three to 400 kanji. Luckily, the first test was only 100, and so I could fudge that. But yeah, three to four, maybe 500 kanji for N4 for anything they could bring up on the test. So here's a question just for our listeners. Should get your brain churning a bit. Back to the word onomatopoeia. Why isn't that spelled the way it sounds? Because English. English doesn't follow its own anything. <laughs> English beat up other languages in the back alley and took spare grammar and verb out of their pockets. You know what? I actually remember that YouTube video. English is literally a bastardized language. It has taken bits and pieces for itself from other languages all around the world and claimed it as its own, which is kind of weird when you think about it. But at the same time, every I'm pretty sure every language has its own automatopoeia. Here's a couple cute ones between English and Japanese. In English, cats say meow. In Japanese, cats say nya. Um, there's, it gets to some weird ones. Frogs say ribbit ribbit. Our Japanese says ghetto ghetto. <laughs> so like some of them almost don't make sense. Dogs say woof woof, but in Japan it's wan wan. So somehow Japanese just has cuter automatopoeia. It's all cute and they have a ridiculous amount. We have maybe if you were to try and say the sound of your heart beating, maybe thump thump, but they have doki doki. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that brings a whole new meaning to doki doki literature club. That's exactly what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I believe that the Mandarin word for cat is Mao. Yeah, how perfect is that? Mm -hmm. So, if that makes Pokemon make any more sense to anyone. <laughs> That's uh, accurate for, I believe it's Egyptian as well. Mm -hmm. They're like, what is this animal called? Wow. Sure, I'll call you that. <laughs> so just back to the topic of Pokemon for a sec, because I'm a complete and utter nerd. Do Pokemon say their names because that's what we named them? Or did we name them because that's what they say? We named them because that's what they say, hence the Egyptian Mao. Mao! <laughs> yeah. It is called, there is a breed of cat called Egyptian Mao. Although, okay, so a third thing I learned recently about Pokemon. We is, what, what kind of creature do we assume Pikachu is based on? He's a squirrel. There you go. Everyone assumes Pikachu is a mouse. On the card it says it is a mouse type. It is a mouse. It is made to look like a mouse as far as we've ever known. But it came out recently that the creator is like, yeah, no, I called it a mouse because that sounds much cuter than a squirrel. But yeah, I was obsessed with squirrels at the time and that's why it's got a giant tail. It's, it's a actually a squirrel. I always thought it was a Daegu. I can see that. Yeah, or a kangaroo rat. <laughs> I mean, I think squirrels fall under like the mouse and rodent category. So like... Did you not realize that most cultures consider mice as pests and squirrels are a lot cuter? Right. Yeah. Have you not seen Hamtaro? Mickey that, Mouse. I thought that was a hamster. He's still a mouse. Right. He's an adorable mouse. But uh, Pikachu, it, Pika is mouse, and Chu is 
the cute sound that mice would make. Choo. Yep. Choo. Oh, how cute. So mice are giving kisses to everyone. Yeah. Choo. <laughs> oh god, this is starting to become as tasteful as Ratatouille. All right. Well, there's your nerd history lesson. Yep. We needed that. Excellent. How long did it take for you to get to this point in your uh, language proficiency? Uh, I tried to learn on my own. Again, in a small town with no access and back in the day when internet was not as wonderful and fast and flourishing as it is. I... Insert obnoxious dial-up tone here. Yes. <laughs> handshake noises. <laughs> Hiding handshake noises from your parents when you're online at one in the morning. <laughs> um... Uh, but I tried to teach myself Japanese through what weird things I could find online and being young enough that I didn't know exactly how to look properly for knowledge like this online. And so mostly from geek repositories of Inuyasha information mm -hmm. and Sailor Moon information of like picking up these words. And so I tried to learn very slowly some words like, of course, you always start with things like kawaii, cute, hello, konnichiwa and things like that. But it turns out that everything I had tried to teach myself over, I wanna say like six or eight years of really casual interest, I ended up learning in half a semester of Japanese 10 in high school. So I'm not discouraged by how slowly I learned it on my own, but PS that classroom learning can be for some people because the slow small amount I learned on my own, we covered in mm, like two months. So building on that with programs like Duolingo, how, if you had had access to that, do you think that six, six or seven years would have been half? Like, do you think that's a really good program to help learn another language? Or should people still strive to at least find a couple of people to work together and learn? I'm in the camp of both. If, if I was older, like I'm talking, I tried starting to learn when I was like 10, 12, 14. You don't really have much drive at that point. But I'm... I'm definitely in the camp for both of if you can get to a class and if you can afford a class, you should try taking a class for the sake of the formal learning. A teacher is going to show you what you're doing wrong, what you're pronouncing wrong, instead of just reading or speaking at a phone with no feedback. That said, I'm all for study groups. I'm all for trying to find conversation partners, whether face-to-face -face or Skype, or even message boards. But if you have access to a class, you should for the sake of feedback so that you can learn properly instead of, you know, learning with whatever accent you're not understanding. But if you can't, then access whatever you can, whether it's Duolingo or Rosetta Stone, or I think I used something called Mondo for a little bit. My best friend right now, because I have some knowledge, so it's just trying to retain that knowledge and learn new vocab, I use something called... Uh, Anki Droid. Anki is a flashcards site, which you can add any kind of flashcards, you can make your own decks, there's many, many, many community decks that have already been made that you can just pull, and it syncs to your phone, as in Droid, Android. So I use flashcards on there, so that when I'm on the bus, I can just look at vocab and kanji and flip through and it gives you buttons for, did you get this right? Yes. Hard. Easy. No, I didn't. And do it again. And it'll also use it will also use SRS, Spaced Repetition uh, System, sure, where it will repeat these cards in a certain interval that is meant to help you remember it easier and better and faster instead of just getting back to that flashcard randomly in your stack. There is, yeah, when you try to learn Japanese, you end up using a lot of Janglish, also known as Japanese English to start. 
and there's a couple words you can combine, or more like the internet is combined, that just works so well and it makes you cringe in the best and worst of ways. To say, good morning, ohayo gozaimasu. To say it badly, ohayo morning. <laughs> but it gets better. There's, oh yeah, right, thank you, is arigato gozaimasu. In Janglish, ariga thanks gozaimasu. Oh. <laughs> to say, I'm sorry, or excuse me, sumimasen. Janglish, sumimasari. <laughs> Oh, but there's so many good ones that I need to find them. <laughs> so I'm sure this is a an issue with quite a few people who are bilingual. Are there times where you find yourself thinking or speaking in more than one language at a time and just confuse the ever-living hell out of people around you or confuse yourself? Because I know with some languages, they would have words that as English speakers, we might not necessarily have a word for, have a concept for, have an understanding of. Um, for instance, I know Japanese has a phrase, and I can't remember what the phrase is right off, but it's something akin to, it can't be helped. And we don't really have a word for that, but it's literally standard in Japanese language. So do you ever find yourself, I guess, thinking in or speaking in more than one language in the run of a conversation with either a Japanese speaker or a native English speaker? I know exactly what you're talking about. The non-hyphenated way to say that is shikata ga nai, or like, there's no helping it, but it is a very frequent word in Japanese, which ends up just shortened to shoganai, which means it can't be helped. And so Japanese is definitely, or Japan is much a culture where it's a little bit more non-confrontational, like we will fight to get what we want, where they will just take whatever they are able to get. That's a bad example, but it applies, where... We will try and, you know, strive for the best seat or the best uh, movie or the best rate or whatever. If they can't help it, they'll just take, you know, what they have access to. And they're like, oh, but is that not good enough? Shogunai. Ah, you can't help it. <laughs> Are you getting, aren't you being overworked at work? Ah, Shogunai. Oh, it's been raining for like a week. Ah, Shogunai. <laughs> their, their Shogunai is almost a way of life. It's just so comfortable for them. Ah, Shogunai. But uh, as far as using getting mixed up in language i i've seen this firsthand when i was taking classes with an older lady whose first or first language was spanish i believe also knew french also knew english of course and then was learning japanese with us and so very often there'd be a lot of si or we coming out and in the middle of of questions as she's as she's trying to answer things and it's not so bad until she's trying to ask us things and she's spitting out little fractions of four languages and I'm like, I only understand two of those. Please pick one. <laughs> but the there's a weird phenomenon that I've noticed is that when you know one language, it's the only language you know. When you know multiple languages, like I'm talking more than three, three or more, you will cycle through, you know, which language is appropriate. But if you know two languages, to me, it's I have my language and I have my other language. So I speak English natively. I go to Japan. I speak my other language because English doesn't work there. I go to Mexico and I want to speak what I know as my other language. So I'm in Mexico where English doesn't work and P.S. Japanese doesn't work. And yet I'm really finding that I want to say sumimasen all the time. No, no, the word is lo sientos for I'm sorry or excuse me. 
I really want to spit out my other language because I have two. I have English, which doesn't work in this location, and my other language. And so I want to speak Japanese in Mexico, and that doesn't work. <laughs> That's unfortunately pretty much where we're going to wrap it up for this episode. We will be coming at you in two weeks again with the second half of this interview, and then we'll be getting on to the discussion two weeks after that. There's a lot to learn when it comes to learning the topic of language and understanding the topic of language, and we had so much fun with this episode that we just didn't want to stop. We actually had to force ourselves to stop recording in order not to overwhelm people, give too much information, that sort of thing. So we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope to see you again in two weeks, and we're going to plug our social media once again, and we're going to take off. We'll talk to you guys soon, and we'll see you on social media. That's Unfortunately, pretty much where we're going to wrap it up for this episode. We will be coming at you in two weeks again with the second half of this interview, and then we'll be getting on to the discussion two weeks after that. There's a lot to learn when it comes to learning the topic of language and understanding the topic of language, and we had so much fun with this episode that we just didn't want to stop. We actually had to force ourselves to stop recording in order not to overwhelm people, give too much information, that sort of thing. So we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope to see you again in two weeks and we're going to plug our social media once again and we're going to take off. We'll talk to you guys soon and we'll see you on social media.